It is my profound honor this evening. I wanted to do this right. This is a man that's worthy of honor, that has faithfully served here in this house for pretty much the entirety of his life. And uh, we're so honored to get to have him as our senior lead pastor here at Victor Life Church. He's been a brother to me through all my ministry stages and seasons of my life. I appreciate his leadership so much and his love for people. He's got a deep passion for seeing people transformed by Jesus. And if you know him and his wife and his family personally, they practice what they preach. I was thinking about James Brown's message last night about not being duplicit and, and making sure that we're actually modeling what we're teaching and have such an admiration for Pastor Jacob. He's the real deal. Him and his wife, Hannah, both model this life of being transformed by Jesus, and it's inspiring. I'm honored to be led by him. We are better because he's here. Would you please welcome Pastor Jacob to the stage? Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Buckle in if there's a seatbelt in your seat. There is a word from the Lord for you today. To all of our campuses, global community, thank you for joining with us right now. Jubilee's happening all over all of our campuses, and so we are grateful to be with you. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We'll hang there for just a bit, and then we'll go to Ephesians 3 for all of you who work ahead. Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, we're excited to hear the good things going on in our campuses and how God is at work and moving. This is a important and powerful moment and season in the body of Christ. And what I want to share today, I believe it is a word for our church, but if you're here from another church, just receive it as yours. I'm not responsible for your church. I'm responsible for this church, so I take responsibility. This is a word for our church, but I also, I believe it's a word for any church that would receive it, because this is too important of a moment, too important of a season for the body of Christ to not be on mission, for us to get caught up in all the petty and stupid things the body of Christ historically has gotten caught up in and not been on mission for the kingdom of God to have something, an, another agenda other than the gospel of the kingdom. And this is too big of a moment that God is happening, not just in our country, but I believe around the world. And I want Victory Life Church to be right on the edge of it, right on the front lines of what God is saying and God is doing. Matthew chapter five, a very, very common set of verses. This is where I wanna start. Matthew five, verse 14, you... Y'all, we're from Southern Oklahoma, Northern Texas, all you Coloradians that have joined us, all of you people from Scotland, it is you all. For us, it is y'all. <laughs> y'all are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I believe this is a time for God's glory to be unleashed in creation. 
The prophet Habakkuk in Habakkuk chapter two envisioned a time where he said, and the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in Jesus, the glory of the Lord was revealed and released. But that glory is given to the church to model Christ, to reveal Christ's glory, to be a light for Jesus. And the church in different times has locked onto that, has latched hold of their mission and revealed God's glory in that time for that season. And in other times, the, the body of Christ has had some other agenda, some other priority, and has not participated in what God has wanted to do. God has always been working and he will always be working, but he will work through a group of people, his body, the church, that is a willing vessel, that is obedient and submissive, that is awake and attentive to his presence, to his voice, to his word, not just in some philosophical, doctrinal framework of the mind, not just in some emotional experience of the heart, but in a loyalty and devotion, not just to Jesus as a savior, but Jesus as Lord. And this is the time for us to take his lordship seriously, to take discipleship seriously. If we are on the brink of a third great awakening, and it's been prophesied enough that I just believe it. So whether or not it's true, we're going to live as if it is, because it is. We're on the brink of a third great awakening, and awakening is more than just a sidelined movement of a few churches or Christians. An awakening not just for our country, but I believe the world, is that people wake up. That's what it means. Wake up to the things of God. And there is one singular vehicle the Lord uses for such a movement, and that is his body. That is his church. Those who have called upon the name of the Lord and have committed their lives to be under his lordship as his disciples. That is the church. It is not just organizations that have the title church. It's not just buildings that have signs that say something church. It is his people. It is his people all over the country, all over the world who have called upon the name of the Lord, been filled with his spirit and are living a life of devotion to his word, to his teaching, observing the things that he taught us and living as disciples that is who Jesus uses, and whoever that is, he will use, and that will be our church. That is who our church is, not because we have a 501c3 in this country, not because we have systems and buildings and orders and positions and titles and salaries and, and services and all those things that might matter. They are just not the ultimate. The ultimate is King Jesus and discipleship to him, following him, not just believing upon him, but following him. He is in charge. That's the truth. And the church, for whatever reason, believes other things in different times and places, not us. That's the group of people that will be a key part of a third great awakening is people who are submissive, people, a church that is attentive, a church that is obedient, a church that is postured, submitted, ready to obey whatever the word of the Lord is, beginning with what he has already told us. And it's with that that I wanna give you five things from Ephesians 3. Go to Ephesians 3. 
This is where we'll park. And when I say park, I don't actually mean we won't go anywhere else. Uh, my, my, uh, my heart is overflowing with the word tonight, and it is more about what not to say than what to say. Ephesians chapter 3 this, these two verses, the last two verses of this chapter have been burning in my heart for months. When we were praying about what to even call Project Big here in our Durant campus, when we were looking at what do we think God is um, saying about this jubilee, what is the theme for this upcoming season, not for a branding purpose, not for a marketing purpose, but to adhere to the word of the Lord. What is the Lord saying right now for his people, for our church. And any church that's here can claim this. And this is where for months, this is what the Lord has been burning in my heart. I'm gonna read Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 from the New King James. And then this is where we're gonna zero in on what I believe will take for us as his church to participate in what he's doing right now. Not just what he will do some other time in some other place. How do we participate? How do we heed the call of the Lord now? for this time, for this place, and be an active participant in what he's saying and doing. Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And Paul did not wait for the church to say amen. He just amended himself. He says, so be it. That's how it's gonna be. To him be the glory, not just now, not just here, but through all generations forever and ever. Now I'm telling you, these, these verses are easy to preach because they sound so good. It does remind us of how big and powerful and mighty our God is. It does remind us that, you know what? We're just not that awesome. We really think small and he's able to do exceedingly and abundantly. And it's so easy to just rip it out of context, to just apply it to whatever you want. But I wanna hone in on what I believe the call of the Lord is to us right now as it relates to experiencing what this is saying. I hear, it's, it's like I hear it as a call, an invitation. And I want our church to answer this call, not just something from positions or leaders or microphones or services, but every single one of us as members of the body of Christ to heed the call of the Lord. And I'll give you all five now, just so that you kind of know where we're at, so you know when I'm about to end, so you can take a breath whenever that comes. It'll be a ways from now, though, I'm just telling you. Five things that I hear in this that I feel is a call from the Lord for our church. The first one, a call to pursuit, a call to prayer, a call to perspective, a call to power, and a call to praise. I believe these five things frame exactly how we will be participants in what God is saying and doing. So let me break this down, a call to pursuit. Verse 20 again, now to him, to him. This is where we so easily get off track. We make our lives or our church about so many other things than the one thing, King Jesus. To him who is able. 
Not to us figuring out how to fill our schedules with lots of activities so that we feel like we're being spiritual. Or on a personal level, that I like to secure my afterlife, but the rest of my life, I got it, Lord. To me that is able to make provision for myself. That we pursue all sorts of agendas. Sometimes it's like a survival. You know, you're just not making it, but paycheck to paycheck. So it's all about just getting to the next paycheck. And we orient our life around just getting to the next paycheck. Or for those that have made a somewhat secure living, we start making it about so many other things. Things like convenience, ease, comfort, or just comfortability. We make it about getting our way. We make it about making it in life. We make it about possession or control or notoriety or attention. And there's so many things that are available to us to pursue. And yet, the call of the Christian, the disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, is to abandon all for the one thing, King Jesus. Now, it is not a call to quit your job, let's start a monastery, and just be in a commune doing nothing. What it does mean is there is a call to ensure the center of gravity of your life is the one thing, Jesus. We make so many other things the center of our life and just put Jesus on the surrounding areas. He is a supplement. He's a good addition to our life. But you know what? My life is about my career. My life is about my kids. Making them happy. Filling their schedules full. My life is about my notoriety, my attention. So many people now in a a world of social media orient their life around the attention that they get from people they don't know very well. This is a plague in our teenagers and children that the entirety of their life is structured around likes and comments. And it's, it's eroding their identity, their purpose, their lives. And adults, the only reason why they're not as guilty is they just don't know how to manage on social media. <laughs> but it's the same temptation to orient our life around the approval that we get from people, the attention we get from people, because... We have to make it in life. We have to look better. We have to look younger. Didn't hear a lot of yelps there. (laughs) It's an addiction for many people to look younger than their actual age. I could say more. I'm just going to choose my offending carefully. Whatever the center of our life is, if it's not Jesus, it's sin. It doesn't matter what it is, or the activity itself might not be sin at all. It might be something good. It's just taking the position as Lord. And we must repent from that. And the church, 
We say we make Jesus the center, but what we actually do is we make the feelings I get during worship service the center. The sense of superiority I get by my intellect being stimulated during sermons the center. Not necessarily the word, but our sense of feeling like we know more of it than somebody else. And I just, I hear the call of the Lord, make the one thing, the one thing again. Psalm 27, verse eight, in the ESV, it says, God, Yahweh says, seek my face. The person praying, the psalmist says, my heart says to you, O Lord, your face will I seek. Psalm 105, verse four says, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. In the New King James and King James, it says, seek his face evermore. How many pursuits have we given ourselves over to that is not seeking the Lord? How many pursuits have we engaged in? Not because you're a bad person, you're just distracted. How many distractions have we given into that have made something other than pursuing the face of Jesus the one thing? Matthew 6, seek my kingdom. Seek the kingdom of God first. All these things that everybody else is stressing over will be added to you. You know, just totally random things like food and clothing and shelter. And he says, even those things will be added to you as you seek the kingdom. We have to be a church that the center of gravity is always on the pursuit of God's presence. It always, we have to be a church that is pursuing his presence, not just in great worship experiences, but pursuing him in the word, pursuing him in, in, in worship, pursuing him in fellowship, pursuing him in serving. The presence of God must be our pursuit. James says rather, um, oh, firmly in James 4, verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. There's a bunch of things I could try to explain what that means, but let's just let it set as James leaves it. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Listen, it isn't sin per se that's making your heart not pure. Could be. But here specifically, it's just having a dual focus. Something as simple as a dual focus, this crazy idea that you can actually make the word priority a plural, plurality, or a, a, a priorities. Like that is a totally made up word. It doesn't exist. There is priority and everything else is subservient to that one priority. Double-mindedness is simply 
dividing your focus in two pursuits or more. And he says, no, no, no. You need to purify your hearts from being double-minded. You can't be pursuing Jesus and then making your whole life about your career advancement. You're not pursuing Jesus when that's true. It's not that your career doesn't matter. It actually matters greatly. Just subservient to the one thing. So we got to draw near to God, make his presence our pursuit. And when we find ourselves double-minded, because all of us will drift into double-mindedness, we need to purify our hearts by coming back to the one thing. Philosopher Soren Kierkegaard said this, that purity of heart is to will one thing. Jesus says in Matthew 5, the pure in heart will see God. Well, I'm just not hearing the Lord. I'm just not seeing him at work. That's because you don't have a pure heart. Oh, but I'm forgiven. I'm loved. Oh, absolutely. You're just really distracted. You've cluttered your, you've cluttered your life with all sorts of things that might be good. They're just not God. And the church, I'm only on number one. I got to move faster than this. So we're being called back to a focused pursuit of God's presence. Focused. 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 That even as a church, we can get tempted and give in to the temptation of having many focuses and drift away from the one thing, King Jesus. It's to him who is able, not our programs and processes and systems, not our methodology, to him who is able. The second one, a call to prayer. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask, We're being called back to prayer. As much as I love all the things we can do, when we lose our intimate fellowship with the Lord, eventually everything else gets lost. When we lose our fellowship, our communion with the risen Lord, eventually everything else gets lost. And we can have all the best marketing. We can have all the best teaching. We can have all the best worship. We can have all the best branding. And all of that could be awesome. But if we lose our connection with Jesus, we lose everything. And that is not something that's just for us as a church collectively. It's for you. When you lose your connection with Jesus, you will eventually lose everything else. This is why the church has pushed backward, back and back and back culturally, is because we tried to do everything but start all of our work in prayer. You wanna be a kingdom business owner? Don't just ritualistically begin your day in prayer, commit wholeheartedly to abiding in Jesus. John, go to John 15. John 15. This will preach, so I'm just going to preach it, not going to explain it. 
I just want you to see a couple extra things. Normally I park on verse five, and honestly, I've preached a lot of sermons from that one verse. That's not today. I wanna give you eight verses and just show you how risky prayer is. How, how much, I'll put it this way. How much Jesus is taking a risk on you? Verse one, John 15, John 15, verse one. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Whatever that is and whatever it means, it's not good, so let's find out how to bear fruit, okay? And look at this, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Do you know what the reward for bearing fruit is? Pruning. To him who is able to do exceedingly, this is all about Jesus. And you know what? It's his love and mercy that he prunes the dead weights in your life. That's not necessarily a reference to people being a dead weight in your life. There are plenty of dead weights, though, that are not people. Plenty of distractions that need pruned. So the reward for fruitfulness is pruning, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me. Here's the kicker. Abide in me. Abide, abide. Make a house in, dwell in, live in. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Cannot. It's not hard. It's impossible. Cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you Abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever, so this isn't just for some religious elite, super spiritual people, disciples that like to get A plus instead of just make it by. Whoever, this isn't just for the super talented, the super wealthy, whoever, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, before I move on, that's worth parking on for just a second. What if he actually means that? What if he means exactly what he says? And we don't try to do a little dance around it. We don't try to spiritualize it. We don't try to, well, you got to look at the context that, well, you can't look at the context because then it would say what it means. You got to look at the larger context of whatever things I'm going to make up. He actually meant you can do nothing of eternal significance without him. Impossible. It's impossible. So why would we try to do anything? What if everything could have an eternal significance? That's why you got to make the one thing the one thing. That's why you have to commit yourself to abide in him. What if you actually thought you could not manage your business apart from Jesus? What if you actually lived like that was true? What if you went to work every day believing that Jesus says, apart from him, you can do absolutely nothing today? What if you went grocery shopping and actually believe what Jesus said? What if your grocery shopping can have eternal significance because you're abiding in Jesus? If we're gonna raise children as disciples, I think we should probably take this seriously. We're not that smart as parents. Don't tell my kids, but 
I'm doing my best, but you know what I mean. I think he actually means this. And he says, whoever. So it isn't even just for adults. What if our five-year-olds could get a hold of this? I'm just thinking of that because my daughter turned five today. So, but what, what, if, what, what, if, what if your third grader went to school every single day and actually believed this to be true? Whoever. There's no junior Holy Spirit. So the same Holy Spirit that fills you with all your spiritual power is the same one available to our five-year-olds. Apart, and, and what if we actually believe this about every single area of life? Because here's, here's, well, is that, I think that's one of my other points. We'll just, we'll, we'll save that one. I'll save that punch for just a minute from now. Okay, we'll keep moving. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. You know what? Again, I think I might know some of what that means, but let's just suffice it to say it's not good. Don't do that. <laughs> let's, just, let's just go with verse five. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We're good. But look at this. Next verse. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. You heard it two nights ago. We don't just need to love the Lord. We want to love his word. What if his word was abiding in us, not just us abiding in his word? What if his word was more than the pages we read and those words get in our heart as the very word of God? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, look at the payload here. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, this is in the same train of thought that in John chapter 13, this is the same setting, the same conversation, the same conversation he was having with his disciples that he says that the world will know you by, by your love for one another. That, that is the copyright proof of a Christian, a true follower of Jesus, a disciple of the Lord Jesus is love for one another, but it's not the only one. Answered prayer is proof of your discipleship. And he doesn't just say, he doesn't spit, like, look at this. He doesn't even clarify, ask whatever you wish. And it's not just this one random verse. Four times in three chapters, he says this. Ask whatever you wish. And so the key is John 15. Abide in me and my words abide in you. When that happens, when you are in a intimate fellowship with me, when you are abiding in me and my words abide in you, because you recognize apart from him, you can do nothing. But what happens when you actually abide from him? See, that's the negative. Apart from him, you can do nothing. But what happens when you abide? Well, you bear much fruit. Well, that sounds a little spiritual. What does that mean? It means answered prayer. It means a few other things. But it, in the very least, in context, it means you ask whatever you wish not even some super spiritual thing. Ask whatever you wish. That's the risk Jesus takes, is that in fellowship with him, he's convinced that what you desire will be able to be formed by him so that he delights in giving you exactly what you desire because he put those desires in you. 
four times, three chapters. I would say if I repeat a point four times, most of us will go, I got you the first time. Look at what he's repeating. Ask whatever you wish. And if we can learn how to abide in him, his words abide in us, and we're bearing fruit and being okay with being pruned, none of us are so mature that we are above pruning. You're not so smart, so godly, so mature that every once in a while the Lord needs to snip something in your life. Now, he does it lovingly and compassionately, but he is serious about it. I don't, I don't know exactly. I've never been pruned by hedge clippers. Come close. <laughs> but as far as I can tell, there's some pain associated with that. So make no mistake, the Lord is okay pruning dead works out of your life and you think it's painful. In the same way, a surgeon is after solving a problem in your body and getting to the bigger problem might come with some minor inconveniences. And this is why the church has to have a call to prayer. We have to heed the call to prayer because this isn't something we work up in the flesh. It's not something that we get on strategy meetings and we spend days in strategic planning. We abide in him. Now, there's a place for strategy and I'm all for it. But what if in your business, you have not just needs, but wishes in your business? And what if Jesus put those there? We're believing for hundreds of millions of dollars to flood our, the, the economies of our region. Not so that it can be heaped up on greedy lusts, but it can advance the kingdom of God. What if that's you? What if your business could grow by 500% in the next couple years because you abide in Jesus and you're not heaping it up on your own lust? There's clarification here. That's for another sermon series that I don't have time for. So we're being called to bear fruit that comes from intimate prayer. It's not something that is a church strategy. It's just simply the vocation of the people of God actually know our Lord and when we are at the place where we are asking for the things Jesus put in our heart, he also is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we ask. That's the place that I want to be that proves our discipleship to Jesus. The third one, a call to perspective. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think. We have a significant thinking problem. Not only do we think small, that's a given. The church for so long has been caught up in carnal thinking. I'm just gonna go ahead and give credit where credit's due. I was meditating on this early this morning. And I did an interview with our brother Andrew Womack today for my podcast. That episode will be released here in a couple weeks. I'm giving you a little advance. He started quoting from here, and I'm like, yeah, I'm taking that for my sermon tonight. <laughs> Look at Romans 8. Romans 8, 5 and 6. For those who live according to the flesh 
set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Now, obviously, if our mind is set on sin, right, it will lead to death. And that's just like Bible 101. I think most of us got that. But what if it isn't just sin? What if it's setting our mind, flesh being our five physical senses? Or more specifically, our emotions. Now having emotions is a very human thing. Being controlled by them is a problem. We all have lived conditioned to respond to the lowest part of our brain. It's the part of your brain at the very center called the amygdala. Do you know this? You didn't know you are going to get some brain <laughs> knowledge today. It's a little tiny little thing called your amygdala. And it is the first stop that all stimulus in your life has to pass through. Meaning your amygdala has processed everything your five physical senses have experienced in your entire life. And it processes information like a thousand times faster than your thinking brain, which is this part of your brain, your prefrontal cortex. That's where you are smart, basically. Like you can think. Like your ability to process information logically comes from that part of your brain. But it is the last stop stimulus goes. The first stop, the amygdala. And it processes information very simply. Good, bad. I like, I do not like. This is good for me and I am drawn to it. This is bad for me, I'm drawn away from it. Now, this is very handy when you're being attacked by a lion. Because before you can think, you should probably already be responding. And that's what happens. Is it, it changes the blood flow to your muscles that are for fighting or running. And you know what is not needed when you are running from danger? Your brain. <laughs> so blood actually leaves your brain and goes to your muscles that are used for fighting or running. But here's the deal. Your amygdala is very, very dumb. It doesn't actually know what is actually good and what is actually bad. And it's already reacting before you can think about it. Have you ever been driving and you hear screeching? And you've already gripped the wheel, hit the brakes, and started looking before you eat, your brain even recognized, I heard screeching. Now, we're in a... Okay, I won't use that example. <clears throat> These are not pre-planned, so I'm going to filter that one. And that amygdala is what activates your emotions. Good, bad. I like, I don't like. 
But the problem with your brain is it doesn't know the difference between a physical threat and a social threat. Meaning, someone's mean to you at work. Your body responds the exact same as if a tiger was jumping on you. It processes the information, someone honking in traffic, the same way a violent threat against you. And that part of our brain is being activated all the time. And here's the deal. We get a choice. Once we are recognizing what's happening to us, you get a choice. What are you going to do with that stimulus? And to live with a carnal mind, a mind set on the flesh, is to allow those emotional reactions to everything to guide and dictate your behavior, your mood, your actions, and your words. And that is the culture that we have built in our country. All we have is our reactions. And that is a mind set on the flesh. And it is death. Eventually, it'll kill your relationships. Eventually, it kills community. Eventually, it kills your own soul. It's death. But the world is hungry for people who are not as guilty as they are that actually can be, I don't know, mature, <laughs> like an adult, when bad things happen and we want to react with the flesh? No, to be spiritually minded is life in peace. Because I've been abiding in Jesus and I bear the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience, I can actually buffer the immaturity and stupidity of the people around me and not live to that lowest common denominator and not sit on some self-righteous podium where because I know Bible, I can still react in the flesh, but I just lace it with some Bible verses and be condescending to the people around me. It's still carnally minded, even though you can lace it with Bible verses. And so we are called to live from a higher perspective than the immaturity of our culture. A church that is a light in the world is not a church that is gonna act just like the world, but with Bible verses. Look at the Message Bible. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Point number one, a call to pursuit, focused pursuit. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about self than God. That person ignores who God is and what he is doing, and God isn't pleased at being ignored. <laughs> the church in the name of God has done a lot of stupid stuff that, has, that God has nothing to do with because we had our minds fixed on self, getting 
our way, doing our thing. And that's why we're called back to the one thing being the one thing, our pursuit of his presence, our pursuit of his face, a call to prayer, to abide in him, that our life be filled with the fruit of the spirit instead of the fruit of the flesh, that our minds get fixed upon Jesus in such a way that we begin to see from heaven's perspective. And when we can see from heaven's perspective, you will see everything differently. And the church needs to stop playing the world's game. We're trying to win at the world's game. Get out of the game. Just see these problems from heaven's perspective. The things that JB talked about last night. Yes, we have serious social issues. Serious issues of injustice. Issues of racism. But the church is trying to play the game that the world is playing and pitting one against another. And the church has gotten so focused on either being self-righteous and looking down our nose at the world or so compromised by the world that our total pursuit is just not be offensive. There are many churches that call it a win when they can get through a Sunday and not offend anybody. And I'm not saying we should intentionally be offensive. That's stupid. And I get that sometimes we have a weakness of the flesh. I can feel that I might be flirting with that a little bit with some intensity here that can come across offensive. And I'm not saying we should target it and then in the flesh exploit it. I'm saying when we can see from heaven's perspective, we can see solutions to issues that the world doesn't even know what the problem really is. We, are, we need to be at a point where, like James says in James 3, verse 16, that we operate from heavenly wisdom. Man's wisdom is full of division and strife and contention. And in the name of solving the problem, they're making it worse. And the church is just trying to go along to not be offensive and lacing it with a cover of love. And it's neither love nor a solution. It's just simply playing not to lose. And in the end, that's what's going to happen. And so the church is called to live from a different perspective, heavenly wisdom. What if you could operate your, your department that you manage, your business that you run? What if you could operate it entirely from heaven's perspective? Do you know that heaven has a perspective on your life? What if you could live from heaven's perspective in your family? What if you could live from heaven's perspective in the day-to-day -day life of community? To be spiritually minded does not mean that you're just a weird, strange, like odd person. There's that, it's like, well, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Listen, you're no earthly good just by anything that's of the flesh. The only way to be any earthly good is to be a little heavenly minded. Be, hev be so heavenly minded that you are earthly good. And our thinking is what's limiting God. 
not just small-mindedness, our operation of the flesh is limiting God. He's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above what we think. And we think so small, we think so carnal, that now it's time that we are called to live from a different perspective. Fourth one, a call to power. I am not talking about some political strategy here, though I'm sure what I'm about to say has implications in politics. But he says he's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above what we ask or think according to the power that's at work in us, plural, not just you. A call to power is a call to unity. Acts 2.1, they were in one accord. They were in one accord and in one accord, in a unity, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was manifested. Ephesians chapter four, verse three, it says, we are eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. The reason why there's no unity is because it isn't of the spirit. It's trying to find all these flesh games that we play against one another. And as soon as my flesh gets provoked, I find reason to be divided from you. Stop playing that game. James 3.16 Sorry, I misquoted James. James 3, 17 and 18 is where the wisdom verses. James 3, 16 says, for where envy and self-seeking, this is the new King James, where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. And the church is rife with envy and self-seeking. And I'm not being accusatory to any one church. When, when any of our churches start to drift in that direction, we have to, we have to address it immediately because that envy and self-seeking unaddressed will lead to not just confusion, but the unleashing of the enemy. And if we wanna walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to come from a place of unity in the spirit, not unity of the flesh. Trying to build unity around the flesh, around personality, about all the stuff we do in the flesh. I don't have to name all the stuff because we're just full of it. We have to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. That means when things of the flesh arise, we have to be more mature and recognize that there is a power that can be unleashed when there's unity. Maybe the reason why the church has been powerless is that there's no unity of the spirit. It's full of envy and self-seeking. Why would the Lord unleash his power on self-seeking individuals? Now, is there exceptions? Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of really, really selfish and immature and dumb people that are really anointed. And it does get a little confusing. Like, why is that, Lord? I don't know. I'm not Lord. If I was, I'd think that person's too much of an idiot. <laughs> I mean, let's, be, let's be honest. Like, most of the time, I'm looking at the mirror going, Lord, why, why, did, why, why have you called me? Like, I'm an idiot. I, I don't do very well at this. So we're being called to a unity that releases the power of the Spirit. And if we want to see actual racial reconciliation. It doesn't begin on us 
I'll just say what it is. It has to begin with the church because the power of the Holy Spirit is the only power sufficient to bring racial reconciliation because it is the power of the Holy Spirit that can get our eyes off of the things of the flesh, like skin color, and onto the reality of the Spirit and the blood of Jesus. Look at Revelation 7.10. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. This is really the only place right here in the heavens that we can see that kind of unity. Well, guess what we're supposed to pray? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. All nation, every nation, all tribes, peoples, and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, not protesting, saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Where is the one and only place real unity is possible? The throne of God. That's why we're called to focus. We're called to pursuit of the presence of God. We're called to prayer, abiding in Jesus, a call to see from his perspective. And if we can do those things, we'll begin to operate in a power from unity that's in the spirit focused completely on King Jesus. And that's number five, a call to praise. Verse 21, to him be glory in the church. To him be glory. Not our great strategies, not our great marketing, not even our great services. To him be the glory, not our great sermons. To him be the glory. To him be the glory where? In the church, by Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever, amen. I did a whole series on Psalm 105, first five verses. We're gonna read them again, just because we ain't done with that. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, giving thanks to the Lord. Why? He's good. I'm not saying everything else is good, but he's good. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Don't glory in your own awesomeness. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. We are being called to a higher level of praise and thanksgiving. In an ungrateful, selfish world, the world needs an alternative in the church. And it begins not by us having it figured out, not by us trying to do all sorts of other strategies that ultimately are built on the flesh and will fail in the flesh, but built on praising the one who is on the throne, praising the one who is king above all kings, lifting the name that is above every other name. And it's at the name of Jesus that all these other things bow. All of these work together. All of these work together that make us participants in what God is saying and doing right now. That if we don't get this right, God has plenty of mercy. I don't know what'll happen, but it's not going to happen. Because at least our church, we're going to heed the call. We're going to answer the call to pursuing the presence of God, seeking the face of Jesus and being transformed by seeking his face.
We're going to live. We're going to heed the call to prayer. Prayer is not that supplement to the work. It precedes all the work because apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. We're going to be a church that believes that. A call to perspective. We've got to recognize all the really immature things we all do that get us caught up in the flesh and not in the spirit. And so we're going to repent when we think carnally. Not just sin, we think carnally. The mind set on the flesh. We're gonna repent of that, which means we're gonna turn away from that and get our minds fixed on the spirit and get heaven's perspective. We're going to heed the call to praise. Heed the call to the power of God. There's so many people that have experienced great things in the Holy Spirit. And I'm excited about that. It's fantastic. Except that what most people are addicted to is the feelings they get from the Holy Spirit than living from a place of power in the Holy Spirit. And you're not flying solo on that. Like it's something that we as a church, we as a church in all of our campuses, we as a church have to labor, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. To not give up unity so quickly because when we give up unity, we give up our power. And when we give up unity and give up our power, then we get caught up in the individual talents and gifts of individuals who seem to have more flamboyance than others. We're not gonna be so shallow to get caught up in one person's gifts. It's already been told to us that a word for our church is to unlock and unleash gifts in the entire body of Christ. It is us together, every joint supplying that we're gonna operate in the power. We have to give, we have to give ourselves to that. We have to be willing to sacrifice lesser agendas to pursue the Lord, get his mind, abide in him. And all of this is couched with a heart full of gratitude and praise. And when bad things happen in our world, we fill up to overflow with gratitude and praise. And that begins with a, with a wholehearted pursuit of his presence. I'm gonna ask our worship teams and our campuses to come. And I'm, we're gonna practice immediately that pursuit and that praise. We're gonna put into practice what it means to come before the Lord surrendered, to repent of duality of focus and recalibrate our focus to King Jesus. And I wanna read this from Revelation 4. because all these things we're striving for and seeking for, all these things we're trying to amass for ourselves, of what value are they in eternity? Revelation four, verse eight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around and within all day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Where is the attention focused in the heavens? 
to the one who sits upon the throne. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, the people of God, the leaders who represent the church of the Lord, the people of God, what do they do? They fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for it is you who created all things and by your will, they existed and were created. Where is all of the focus and attention in the heavens to the one seated on the throne? Of what value is all that we've amassed in our life? The only value of what we have is for an offering to King Jesus. That all of these things we've pursued and searched for, all these things we've, we've tried to get our hands on, the best that they are is an offering to the King of Kings. And this is what kind of church we have to be in this time completely and totally devoted to King Jesus. If you're gonna unlock the grace gift in your life, begin with casting it to the Lord. It all belongs to him. If we're gonna solve big cultural issues, we lay it before the Lord, the one who lives forever, forever because it is by him that all things were created in the first place. It was by his will. That word also means pleasure. It was his delight to create you and put you here. And our response must be wholehearted pursuit. Focused attention on the one who sits upon the throne. King Jesus, we look to you. May our eyes ever be fixed upon you. We repent of dual focus, where we've let simple, even good things become our passion and pursuit. We repent of dead works. And we come home to you. We get our eyes fixed back upon you. We repent of abiding in culture, abiding in the news, abiding on social media, abiding in gossip, abiding in envy, abiding in greed, abiding in lust. We repent of where we have been abiding and we abide in you, Jesus. We respond to call to prayer, to live in fellowship and union with you. We repent of allowing our carnal mind to control our emotions, our carnal mind to control our actions. And we come to a place to allow our minds to be guided by the Holy Spirit. And in the unity of the Spirit, we thank you for your power being unleashed through this church, through all those who claim this word. And all of it, is filled with praise 
and honor and thanksgiving. We say worthy is the lamb who was slain, worthy to receive honor and glory and wisdom and wealth and power throughout all ages, both now and forever from generation to generation. We will proclaim your praise, O Lord. And we yield as your church to the promptings and leadership of your Holy Spirit. that in knowing you, abiding in you, may we be filled with all the fullness of God, not as individuals, but as your church. And may all the things we've tried to claim and grasp in life, may we live open-handedly, our lives a sacrificial offering, a sacrifice of praise to the one who sits upon the throne the lamb that was slain, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the name that is above every other name, King Jesus. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. We thank you. Thank you for all that you've done. We fix our minds and attention upon you. May this season be marked by a wholehearted, focused pursuit of your presence.